0: Great decisions first look like bad decisions. Absolutely. I think the problem with decisions is your feedback loops don't come immediately. Decisions are validated as good decisions or bad decisions after the feedback loop comes and feedback loops take a long time, right? So for me, the framework I've built over my life is, you've taken a decision,
1: please, please be iterative. And Uh, so today we have with us Priya Mohan, partner and investor at Venture Highway. Uh, welcome to Startup Priya, pleasure having you. So Priya is an entrepreneur turned VC, uh, after several years of experience in investment banking, she founded Vidyartha, a tech startup and successfully exited it to Byjuice in uh, 2018. So Priya, we'd like to know about you, uh, your inspiration as an individual and your journey much before building Vidyartha. Uh, mm-hmm. If you can share a few anecdotes about your upbringing, your early life experiences and your initial jobs and how they inspired you
0: to become an entrepreneur. Sure. The of getting older is, as you get older and older, you get more liberated and you like don't mind saying it as it is. Um, that's, that's great.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, let me start with my upbringing. Right, I'm born into a very, I would say, semi-traditional Tambram family, born and raised in Madras. As with most Tambrams, I don't know how many of you know Tamrams. I see a lot of North Indian surnames. But, you know, you're you're trained to do math well. That's literally my background, right? Like your, your purpose in life is you have to learn dance, you have to learn music, you have to do math well, you have to do science well, and you're trained to get into one of the top engineering colleges and your cousins don't help you because they're all incredibly hardworking and smart and everything. I think... Uh, personally, for me, I had a very bipolar upbringing because my parents were two different individuals, right? Like my father was a, you know, very early on a big risk taker, was not like a typical traditional guy. He built a very large NBFC. So I, there was one part of him which I was looking at. My mom was as grounded as middle class, you know, go to the temple, be disciplined, get up at five, uh, say your shlokas and all that. So it was very interesting. My brother and I had these two completely different divergent upbringing at home. Uh early on uh, in life, uh, you know, what I was very clear about is, you know, that I, I like to do many things at a time. I was not somebody who was, uh, you know, some people are very good at doing one thing or a couple of things and do it very well, right? Like I had friends who would take one thing and they would do it extremely well and, you know, for example, some of these guys will say, I want to prepare for JE. and they went ahead and spent four years in building. I mean, I get restless very fast. That's the kind of a person I am. That's still my personality. And I wanted to explore many things uh, in the process of having learned, but not very early on. I became a professional dancer. So I used to um, you know, in school, I barely attended in the last few years. I used to perform all over India right? and traveled. And, you know, I used to go with a group of artists. It was a very different experience, incredible experience. Uh, st- a stage performance teaches you different things. And in 11th and 12th, uh, I mean, in 10th grade itself, I, I mean, literally, I don't know if you went through the stage as a young kid, you will see somebody who's very articulate, you like, and you want to do them or you want to be them, right? Like what they're doing. So I was very influenced by a lot of journalist friends of my parents, right? And I was like, suddenly, I want to be this journalist, I want to like write about stuff. So I, I, I remember before my 10th grade exam, I went to this corner, you know, this uh, reporting studio, it used to be called Adair Times, I didn't know the founder from Adam, I literally walked it in my BSA cycle. And I would say, listen, will you give me a job? He asked me, what do you do? And I said, I just am going to finish my 10th standard exam. He laughed and said, you finish your exam, come back during your holidays. I said, no, 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 I'll come back. My school finishes at 3.30 till 5.30. I have dance class from 5.30 to 8.30. I'll work for you. He said, no, 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 we don't do child labor here. Go back during your holidays. You come and work for me. And that's when I realized in 11th and 12th was a pivotal moment for me because I didn't want to take science, although I did well which means literally I ruled out engineering and medicine, right? I went and spoke. I had this amazing clarity of thought. I went and sat down my parents and I said, look, And fortunately, unlike my other families, my parents were very chilled out that way. They let, let me be. They said, you do what you want because also possibly they know by now that this girl has a mind of her own and it's very hard to like tell her to do what to do. So I sat them down for 15 minutes and I said, listen, I've really thought this through I'll tell you what I don't want to do. I'm not going to take science because I can't be wedded to studying 15 hours. I want to explore five things and I want to just figure out what I want to do, which means I don't know what I want to do, but I don't want to do science because I don't want to like limit myself studying 15 hours. So I took commerce and then that end of the year, like when I finished school, uh, at a personal level, my dad had a very large business which collapsed. So a significant part of my time went in helping him, Uh, you know sort of structure a lot of things helping him on the legal side so I had to grow up very fast and that's when I uh, also decided that I don't want to pursue dance as a profession and I wanted to uh, do something because dance didn't give money and you know I just realized look I I love dancing I'm passionate about it but I'm not the best and I'm not going to try and you know uh, uh, you know put myself into a profession where I know that I don't see myself practicing 10 hours a day And you need an incredible amount of food discipline, which today, till today, I don't have anyways, right, for uh, performing art like dance. And then I decided to do CA because one, there was a lot of personal thing I had to deal with for my parents. And I thought, you know, do something respectable because my dad was a CA. Okay, next best thing. So I finished my CA. And you won't believe it. At that point of time, I told myself, I swear I will never be an entrepreneur because I saw what my dad went through. I said, look, I'm going to be what my grandparents told me. Bloody go, get a job, keep getting raises, go to the US and, you know, join a Google or whatever. Then, I mean, that time there was no Facebook and all was not as famous. And, you know, get a job and earn in dollars. And then, you know, like life is set. And I told myself, I will just not start something because I don't want to put my, parents, my family through the risk of highs and lows. It's exactly what I didn't do right that's exactly I guess something is there in your DNA I I, I guess something is there in your genes or whatever you call it literally eight nine years later after meandering through everything and I did a little bit of investment banking and everything and uh, I was then married and I had uh, you know my daughter she was two and I realized you know I was working in Veda which was a fairly large investment bank in Chennai. I had just closed a deal with a very large health tech company, healthcare company, we raised about 500 plus crores for them. And that's when I said, look, I don't want to be telling stories for somebody else. I want to tell my own story. So I still remember this evening I was having, uh, you know, I, I couldn't drink then because I was still nursing my child and I was having this discussion with my husband. And I said, listen, I know I told you that I, I will always work. And I know we got this house on an EMI. And I know I, you know, said one of us will work because my husband's a first time founder, but I don't want to work. I want to be an entrepreneur. But the good thing he said, okay, fine, do what you want. We'll figure it out. Five years was hell, right? I don't know what we were smoking then. To be honest, for two of us to be first-time founders, we've never made dollar money. Uh, you know, and we didn't take any money from our parents. We had just bought in a house. We just bought a house. It was an incredibly tough period of time. And we had a young kid. And for five years, I did Chennai to Bangalore, Shatabdi, and back, building the whole business in Bangalore. But it was the most enriching period of my life. uh, Where, you know, if you look back and observe even those little moments of highs and extreme lows, I think the way it builds your personality, I think I believe personality is built in your edge points, not when everything is stable. It's in the extreme high and the extreme low that your personality gets built, your character gets formed or firmed or shaken or whatever you call it, right? It could be personal uh, tragedies, it could be professional successes and that's that's been my experience right so i did exactly what i said i won't be doing and i started with Yasa as a young mother wanting to change the education uh, process and then that's the that's the genesis yeah that's
1: that's phenomenal to know priya and the counterintuitive approach which you uh, took uh, at that point of time when you had a very different opinion and went against maybe a battle against yourself and found out something pretty amazing. So let's now deep dive into Vidyartha, your founding story. What is your zero to one story? How did you meet your co-founder even? and how did you get started? How were the early days look like? Because eventually most of the folks think that the early days are like uh, pretty fantastic, like building a Google right away from the day zero itself. But would like to know from you in a very candid way, what were those days for you?
0: Um, Before I get there, I'm just going to take 30 seconds to answer this question. Great decisions first look like bad decisions. Absolutely. I think the problem with decisions is your feedback loops don't come immediately. Decisions are validated as good decisions or bad decisions after the feedback loop comes. And feedback loops take a long time. Right. So for me, the framework I've built over my life is you've taken a decision. Please, please be iterative. And I don't know if you guys follow me on Twitter. I wrote this. I mean, I have this notebook, which I keep writing. I take copious notes of any thought, anything comes or anything I learn, I keep writing. And one thing I realized is the biggest thing we do is, and somebody told me this, right? Like this limiting factor we have is like, that's it. Anything we do is cast in stone, right? What I think we should do is be, once you make a decision, your job is to keep validating the decision. But if there's a data point to say that the decision is, horribly horribly bad at many points of time then you have to relook at stuff right uh i think the one advantage that i have as an individual so not pursuing dance the framework was is very simple right i was not the best at it i was good at it i was not the best at it the question i asked is when i look at professional dancers they spend 10 hours a day practicing can i see myself doing 10 hours of something like dance no i love the one hour one and a half hour of practice but i don't see myself doing 10 hours of dance And money was important for me and at that point of time. So I didn't see myself as this, you know, artists are by nature, a little driven away from uh, capitalism to some extent, you know, all my artist friends. So I was not somebody who says, you know, let me see and let the money come. No, I I early on had this clarity of what not to do. So that's why I didn't choose dance. Coming back to your question of early years, early years, I would say best characterized with Extreme uncertainty right uh, and that's the biggest fundamental uh, you know foundation of any early state startup uncertainty because let's be honest sometimes you don't even know you have this notion of what you want to solve but it takes a while even to get clarity on the exact problem to solve that is why when I sit with founders right when I look for clarity of thought I don't even expect many of them to say the exact problem statement and exact hook. I'm more interested in the process they follow, which is how many customers have you spoken, what process or what data points have you gotten to enrich yourself with certain insights, which others don't have. Right. And then it's the journey. It's a journey of discovering whether the problem statement you picked is right. are customers punching you in the face or they agree with what you're saying, whether, you know, what you think is value is value enough for somebody to actually open their wallet and pay you money. So the first two, three years was just that discovery, which is what do we need to build? Will people even value this identifying the right stakeholders? And it's a continuum, right? And that is something that that's the thing. And for me, like, you know, going to I'll tell you personally, a lot of things, right? Like, The biggest challenge for many uh, people who have come through the system, right, like finish my CAF, finished ISB, you know, when I see to keep away noise is an incredibly hard thing. Right. And I'm saying this at 41. I feel sadder for my 14 year old who's only with noise, right? Like with younger people, there's so much noise around. Because today, validation is not just coming from within. You're also seeking validation from seeing your peers. Oh, my God, this guy's raised money. That guy is sold. And that's also happened with me, right? Like I I come from my network. I see really successful people, right? When I see my uh, colleagues who've joined Google as a product manager, who's done so well and who are posting pictures, every day to wake up and go with this belief that you have chosen and you say, it's still okay, I'm going to pursue that is the hardest thing in the first year. Right. And the proxies that you make for why this is the right path becomes incredibly important. Right. And you should also figure out that's where I said, coming back to the point of identifying and being as open as, you know, I'm not being stuck onto this. I'm looking at things objectively. I'm constantly iterating. I'm not like that's also important. So there's a thin line between being very rigid and being persevering and every day as a founder in the first two years until you get some validation raise your funds get your first 50 customers that's the biggest challenge to look at the mirror and say listen this is worth doing this is worth the price paying this is worth the stress it's worth getting up at four forty-five a.m in the morning leaving my two-year-old with my husband and going that's the biggest challenge
1: that's that's already inspirational. We have got a question in the chat box Priya uh, we should take that up. Is it important to have a co-founder in the startup? Is there a chance that a startup may not succeed with uh, without a co-founder? No
0: uh, look, I think uh, I can argue for a lot of pros for having a co-founder. but having said that it's also not true when i say there are not successful and you should go and look up data there are enough data points of very successful single founder companies as well but the pros of a co-founder are as follows if there is an opportunity i think the biggest pro to me is to have the mental companionship see uh you know you have that mental companionship at home with your partner your family or whatever i think at work you can still go back and have a dining table conversation, but nobody will relate to you as much as your co-founder on the highs and lows you're going through. And, you know, we as human beings don't need people to share successes. We'd like to take everything, but you need a shoulder to cry when there is a failure, right? And that kind of mental companionship is very, very, very important. The second thing on the not, in a more skill-based thing, I do not believe an individual can cover every part of running a startup. We all have our spikes, But we also have our weaknesses. Uh, My co-founder brought in the tech, the building the tech platform, thinking about it from hiring, managing the thing. While remember, I was still doing three days and two days, right? I couldn't have built a team and managed them. While I looked at the product, customer, I'm better with sales, I'm better with uh, business development, GTM, that's my skill. So it really helps when two people complement. The third most important thing is to act as a sounding board, Right. Having said all this like in a marriage it's very important for the founders to have an incredible amount of trust and respect for each of their skills and having the right frameworks to make decisions. I also don't believe you can build a build a startup with absolute democracy. You can't have like I will all three founders they'll all vote yes it can't work like that. But what are the vetoes? Right? How quickly you move in your decision making. Who will have the final say? I think those are important. But having said that like Moglix is a great example one of our investments rahul's a single founder there are enough companies where single founders can be successful as well
1: makes sense, makes sense. one more question uh, is around entrepreneur burnout did you ever face any sort of burnout during your early phase stages or even right now and how do you overcome it
0: um you know um i've realized uh, my biggest Strength and I tell this to my team is not I'm not the smartest in the room. Uh, I may not be the smartest in the room, but I I'm generally perhaps the most persistent. And um, I think the my biggest strength is I I don't give up easy, right? So I fall, I dust off and go. Um, I think more than burnout, I've experienced a lot of anxiety, uh, fear, right? Uh, And you know there. Having a good, it's very important to talk to people, not keep it inside. And for me, workout has really been helpful. I've been a runner before, now I do other kinds of work. I'm extremely, I'm a fitness freak, and that really helps me think calm down. So the easiest thing for me to do is when I feel very, very heavy in my head or burnt out, I just go for a walk uh, and breathing, right? So that's been consistent. So, but yes, high anxiety. Uh, fortunately, I don't think I've come to a stage where I felt a complete burnout.
1: Makes sense. Makes sense. Let's sort of pivot towards talking about your early stages again. Wherein, How did you get your first customers? How did you validate the idea when you're talking about getting insights from founders? That's what you expect when you are doing a conversation with the founders. So if you can uh, give us an overview from your own experience, how did you uh, sort of navigate through this phase?
0: Got it. You know what, if you don't mind, I'm just looking at some of the questions. It seems like many of these guys are asking from the point of view of their own startup. So let me kind of give a flavor of my own experience as a founder and what I look for as a VC when founders come and pitch to me also, if that makes sense. I think, look, uh, um, in the first stage of your startup, I think validating your problem statement and being razor focused on if what you aim to solve appeals to the market becomes very critical. I see many cases where people have a very strong view of the type of product and the solution that they need to build. Okay, But they don't do enough customer dipsticks or they don't do enough to understand the customer landscape. I think that to me is a very, very important thing. The first thing at least we did was speak to many, many schools and actually co-build it with at least three, four, five schools. The second thing we did was the first 50 schools, two of us as founders actually physically sold to those schools before we built a sales team. Because as a founder, if you don't know how it is selling, I don't think you can outsource it. You may not be experienced or you may not have sales as a skill, but you need to know as a founder, what are the talking points about your product? What parts of the product is taking to the customer? Why do they want to pay for the product? And that will come only when you have these engagement with your customers. So I would say customer dipsticks uh, and co-building and early stage research about customers. Just, you know, forget about any frameworks, what your B-School teaches you. Like you go to an ordinary Doti guy, right? And I was having this conversation, you know, if you see where he puts his, uh, not Doti guy, sorry, Ayanwala. And he, if you go and have a conversation, I was having a guy, a conversation with mine. You know, before he goes and moves his cart, he figures out what kind of an area it is. Is it next to an apartment? Is it next to a... You'll be surprised how many of them, they don't put next to individual houses because the number of clothes is very less. The density per area is very less. They go and put themselves behind large apartments because 50, 60, 70 houses will come and give them clothes, Right and then he also manages the price based on it if he goes to a residential colony where it's like a few apartments but there's a ton of houses he charges 20 bucks or 30 bucks per shirt or something right but if it's a you know uh, uh, you know uh, it kind of a crowd with large thing he you know charges lower but the volume is higher and i was amazed who teaches him all this he didn't go to an mba school i think very first principles thinking on customers i think is an incredibly important part for you to build a startup and that's what we spent a lot of uh, time in the early stages the second thing is listening to your customers we all hear our customers but very few of us listen to our customers which means that you know when we change uh we pivoted from a b2b to a b2b to c that is and i think that's a mistake we did we didn't we heard our customers we didn't listen which means building a large business with getting the schools to pay was becoming harder. So how do we move to using the schools as a conduit to actually getting the end students to pay becomes incredibly important. And that's the pivot we did. So again, coming back to my point, there are two spectrums, right? Like you build a very deep tech product where you have patents. It's like a drug discovery. Very few of us are able to do that. But essentially, most of the products lie in serving our customers, serving our pain point. Which is, you know, less of a deep, deep tech, more of a, you know, creating something, a workflow or something which is interesting. So that is something it's very important for you to keep focusing on your